Blog Talk Radio. Good morning. This is your host, Lorraine Neidhart. You are at Venus Unplugged. And what we do with this blog talk is explore all things Venusian, whether it be the archetype of Venus or Aphrodite, as some know, and certainly the the living principle of Eros that lives in all of our lives, you know, whether whether we're experiencing heartbreak, which is always out of awakening, we are breaking open, up and through, and uh, when disappointments and heartbreak occur in our life, which they must, we have been anointed to become new, transformed. Now, while it is happening... It definitely doesn't feel so good. But the soul know what's, knows what to do. What we're going to be exploring for the next couple of weeks is this incredibly erotic and exciting cliffhanger of a poem of before Christ, thousands of years, of Inanna. And Inanna is queen of heaven and earth. And at that time, before... God was a man, God was a woman. It's a wonderful book by Merle Stone when when God was a woman. So we're talking about early time in history with the consciousness is developing. This is very important to understand that it, you know it's, it's thousands of this experiment called humanity is thousands and thousands of years old. Now, the archetypal Venus or the planet Venus. One of the uh, interesting attributes of Venus in our lives is that she rules hearing. Isn't that interesting? She rules how we're going to hear a situation. So, so when we look at our astrology charts and think, you know, wherever our Venus is placed... She, that's her revelations. She speaks to us. We can hear her or we can hear the perspective of what she wants us or how we're going to perceive something. So she relates to the psychology of how we hear. You know, and the, the anatomy of the ear is ruled by Mercury, the god Mercury, but the psychology uh, is Venus is hearing. Now, in, in the world of astrology, which is the world of Ishtar, which is also Ainana, that's queen of the heavens. So the word uh, disaster, the etymology of that word means we're not following Ishtar. We're not following the course that is written in our chart, the course of heaven. So we're going to wind up in a disaster. And uh, we all we all know that one. Right? So Venus in astrology, she has a rulership over Taurus and over Libra. Now, on the when she's on the side of uh, of Taurus, that has to do with uh, the inner relationship of ourselves. So it's a different aspect of Venus. You know these these. Deities have many, many aspects, shadow and light. 
Okay. And le- the Libra side, Venus is in relationship uh, with other people. The we in a relationship. Not the me, the we. So on the Taurus side, it's Venus's instinct to survive. And the resources, what Venus in its values are resources and what has value, which is also why in the chart Venus rules money. Blah. Because money and what was valuable, you know, once it came totally from the earth, whether it was from gold and diamonds or the sea and pearls or farming, you know, that's that's what we value. If we if we don't have any relationship and we have opposing value systems around Venus, you're going to fight about money. And very often, you can come to an agreement because you begin to understand, oh, this isn't personal. This is how this person wants to spend their Venus. Now, some people don't want to spend any of their Venus, which is kind of foolish. It's like being creative and saying, no, I'm going to spite the world and not create. Well, that's not going to fare well. So what this, and Venus, if we see her as Aphrodite, you know, she holds a mirror. And people who don't understand the world of symbolism will say, oh, that's to prove her vanity. Absolutely not. No vanity to prove she is who she is. She is beauty itself. So she's not going to be looking at herself. She is it and knows it. The mirror is the mirroring, is the reflection, the reflective mind. How do we see our blind spots? Through reflection. How do we uh, overcome or separate Let's say envy. We can't look at envy straight in the face. It's Medusa. It will kill us. We'll be paralyzed. But if we reflect, gee, I wonder why they said that, or I wonder why I feel so awful this morning. And then if you just said, you said, where did I get hit with envy the last 24 hours? Now, it can be your own, where we're feeling disconnected from the inner child and our true source of joy. And somebody's like looking so damn happy. It's like, why? You know, and then we start comparing and thinking, well, then, you know, their eyes are too small and their feet are too big. Then how come they're happy? Because they're connected. They feel the goodness in the world. So we can have some envy or we can have the terror of being envied. Somebody could be envying us. Or we can have the self-envy. But we cannot go straight at it. We have to reflect. Gee, I wonder what this feeling is. Did I get hit with envy in the last 24 hours? Your mind will immediately go to it. And there, in your imagination, you can correct it. Because once you know what it is, the mood, the atmosphere that is surrounded by uh, the auric field of an emotion. So everything has these, uh, not only do we have several bodies, but the astral body, uh, you know, knows and has all of these emotional ranges. So they're like colors. So every feeling 
uh, comes with a color and a sound and an emotion, a feeling. And uh, so that's how we know feelings are up or a mood. One can feel anxious or one can feel joy for no particular reason. It's when we're aligned. We just see the beauty of it all. So that's, I think, very interesting. So wherever Venus is placed in your chart, that is how you hear, how you perceive through the hearing. Now, there is something called uh, clairaudience. Clairaudience is, is when you can hear the, the voices of uh, uh, the gods. or, or uh, it's, it's a psychic gift, but it comes through hearing. So Venus is part of that, too. So, now on with Ainana. Ainana, as you're starting to know and understand, uh, you know, if you can get uh, or download a copy of this poem, it is so erotic, it is pure delight. So, Inanna has uh, her brother, Gilgamesh, uh, of the great axe, he's got like a 500-pound axe or something, um, so in that period in history, he was the one responsible for castrating the great mother, whoa, right? And then the great mother said, really? All right. Well, now you're going to know what it feels like um, to not be whole. And she um, put a, uh, a curse or an awakening or a promise or a task. I'd like to see it as a task, not as a curse. It was like, okay. And the task is to find your honey man or your honey woman. Sweetness within your own being, the sweetness of love, both internally and externally. So that's how, or the story is told, or the story goes, that we were once whole, both masculine and feminine. Now we know we have it psychologically, but we were physically both masculine and feminine. With the castration of the great mother, she said, okay, cool. Well, now you're going to have to find your other half all by your sorry ass self. And here we are, hopefully not too sorry, yes, but in in searching for, and it needs to, because it is the most difficult path. It is the most worthy, no matter how difficult it can be. It's not as bad as not trying, because there's great power in that kind of awakening, and that's our task, to be human. Deeply, divinely human. All the stories in the religions, which are all very interesting, and they're wonderful teachings, but they're man-made. So it's in being human, because the task that religions put before people does that. You know, everything that's human is like, don't do that, and don't, you know, you want to know uh, what your shadow is, to, to break one of the Ten Commandments. You're right there in Shadowville. So if we start to look at this in the way that it needs to be looked at, because this is the period of time in evolution that's probably one of the most exciting to be here. Because we are having an opportunity for integration as human beings. Look at how 
the transgender and uh, the gay, and you know, it's all opening up, man. Beautiful, because everyone has a right for their expressions. Uh, you know, you'll get in trouble if you're harming somebody, but that's not. It's not harmful for whatever your instinctive nature is to let that live. And we have grown, even though it's going to take a while to adjust, and we need to find new words to fit that into our our vocabulary because it has to hit the language in order for us to understand it. We can't accept anything or know anything until we name it. It's got to be named. And then we can uh, give greater names and more descriptions but that must live. So here I see this as <clears throat> it's a return for the awakening of both the masculine and the feminine within that wants to live and be alive here on earth. So step back, people. It's an extraordinary uh, moment in evolution. It's not what religions say. It's not what limited people say. It's nature. And it makes all of us, it demands from all of us to love a little more or love a little differently. And if you can't love it, at least not hurt it. To say, I don't get it, but there it is. So it's an evolutionary link. So here we have it. So we've got this, <clears throat> the first, one of the first, uh, Isis and Osiris is also a Incredible love story. And here we have Inanna, queen of heaven, earth. And then she goes into her little tour of duty to meet her dark sister, Arishkagel. Wow, that's a cliffhanger. But let's get on with Inanna. So, all right, she's born, then she's uh, she's created. She always was and always is. And uh, she knows that she's moving into another stage of life. No longer the girl that doesn't know who she is. She starts to feel like, whoa, I got to start exploring here. This is wonderful. And the people, you see, the people relate to Ainana. They know, and and uh, her eventual honeyman, Dumuzi. Say Dumuzi. Your lips like pucker like you're going to kiss. I love that. And when we read a bit of the poem, you will understand that kissing part. So her brother uh, chops down the tree to his younger sister, castrates the great mother in his journey, his hero's journey. And now we're having a new awakening on the land. So what's going on externally? The patriarch is being born. It's in its early developmental stage. Uh, The matriarch is stepping back. She's going internally. Now, it's not about favoring one over the other. Not at this time in evolution. It's about the integration of the two. We've lived with both, and now as human beings, we can integrate them as one. And then you'll see how everything else, because this is going to take thousands of years, will begin to to change. Things will blossom in a different way. So she... um, She's starting to get a sense. Uh, she's starting to want to sow her oats, right? And she wants to start to understand. So 
said, what is it like to be like queen of heaven and now earth? And she decides to go visit the God of wisdom because she's eager for adventure. She wants to test her powers. And we all remember those kind of wild, abandoned teenage years. Or if we're studying something new, we want to test our powers. And if we understand it, it kind of works relatively smoothly. It's always a little crooked the first thousand times. And if it doesn't work, it blows up in our face. And then it's like, okay, now what exactly did I do here? Oh, yeah, I got it. I was going to speak my wisdom. I was going to tell my truth. But I forgot my manners. Or I forgot that this person um, um, is limited in this way or that I didn't take the time to create a charm, to tell it in a charming way, in a way that can be acceptable. You know, that's why parables are starting something with a story always eases. So we can begin to have wisdom, but it's the expression of the wisdom. It's a completely different thing. And, you know, in the early stages, people would say, yeah, but it was my truth. It was like, yeah, but that's your truth. You could have put an outfit on it. I mean, that was the roar. Nobody could take that. And that's starting to sound more like an opinion than a truth. So Inanna is, you know, she's starting to get a sense of who she is, and she goes on this great adventure to the God of Wisdom. And um, it's Inki, E-N-K-I. I I love this, Inki, Inki, do, la, la, la. And uh, who is the God of the Waters. And his city is Eridu, E-R-I-D-U, and it's located where the fresh waters meet the salt waters. So it's a very powerful image of uh, the salted waters. Are, are the, are the salt gives you wisdom. It's the, it's the alchemy. So these at the convergence of the Tigris and Euphrates River, right, which are also the, the, the rivers of paradise, so uh, Inky is a great shaman. And Inky and Anana, you know, they start to whoop it up and party and they're drinking together. And <clears throat> in in this drunken frivolity, this delight, uh, the host, Inky, offers the treasures of his kingdom to the young queen. The gifts of me, M-E. Uh, the ordering principle of civilization. So, Anana's taking them. Thank you. Thank you, Inky. Thank you, thank you. So, the God of Wisdom gives Anana all the knowledge necessary to rule her kingdom. It's a pretty powerful encounter uh, there. His last gift is the making of decisions, which is an enormous gift. The making it be, to be able to rule one must be able to make wise decisions, not just right or wrong. In decision-making, the, the ultimate action is a yes or a no or a right or a wrong, but the process of the decision-making, 
that's tension of the opposites. That's uh, it's, it's not what just we we see that meets the eye. See, a wise decision is going to last. It's just not a simple yes or no. So she's got this. She's been given this this capacity to make decisions, and without which all the other me are useless. So his other treasures, his other powers, don't mean a thing if they don't have that capacity to make decisions. And so when uh, he wakes up, and uh, I'm sure he had a hangover from whatever they were drinking, carrying on about, uh, he kind of realizes what he's done, and he wants his riches back. Yo, sister, give me my scepter. Give me my, give me my chariot. Give me my jaguar. And uh, the dark side of nature takes over. Possessive, jealous, and controlling. He becomes the malevolent shaman who withholds rather than gives. Now, Inanna, who's catching on, she's no longer just the little girl who's in awe of it all. She's, you know, the young teenager. She is coming into her woman's rights, her blood right. She's starting, she's feeling her erotic nature, the power of that. She knows that the next stage is the sacred marriage bed, so she's got to find her honey man. So she's starting to wake up here. And it's also nature waking up. It's life in and of itself. I mean, that's the wild thing about particularly the first few days of spring. Everybody's walking around as if they are a little drunk. Just something is happening. Something, you know, certainly in, in New York, the, a really lovely day comes, and the next thing that you know, I mean, Central Park is filled with people running and talking and, and meeting for lunch. And it's, it's just, if, if everybody was singing, it would be like this extraordinary opera of life. But Inanna is uh, starting to become aware, and she recognizes the God's dual nature, and she outwits him with the help of her confidant, the Princess Neshubar. That's N-I-N-S-U-B-U-R. And together, they bring the sacred me back safely to Yurok, U-R-U-K, where the queen offers them to the people. Ever so much the queen, she knows that. Whatever she gets, it belongs to the people. Because she loves the people, and they love her. And it's a very active love affair. And which is, it's not, <clears throat> it's not an abstraction, She's not some deity, you know, just hanging out on high. She's living. And so the youthful Inada, she flaunts her raw feminine vitality and her wondrous vulva. She's big on the vulva. She is big on, look at this, how lucky am I. Look at how glorious this is, and it's so wonderful when you listen to this poem or you read the poem or read the poem outside. That's the attitude one needs towards 
one's own and the male needs towards this this incredible organ, the gateway of pure and absolute delight. And so in her battle with Inti, her powers were tested, and Hainana emerged a fuller woman. So she's becoming conscious of her eros, of her erotic nature. So then when she starts realizing that, she knows that the next stage is da-da-da-da, that she has to start the courtship. Who's she going to marry? What's really going to go on here? Because in who she marries, he becomes king, and she becomes, you know, the... Uh, his inspiration it really is a very positive anima figure uh, for the males. Because she has these incredible gifts. She knows that the king has to serve the people, and that she doesn't make sure that she's uh, not influencing him in, in a negative way and helping him become, in, in some ways, the story of Shaharazad, which is a shamanistic story, uh, where the, the king is like killing all these maidens every night, but Shaharazad outsmarts him, and she starts to tell him a story. And in, in the story uh, of A Thousand and One Nights, each night she gives him a teaching on what it's like to be a real king, not a whip ball who's like killing women because she pissed. You know, the serial killer side. And by the time A Thousand and One Nights uh, go by, that's one hell of a long story, but it's worth it. Uh, the king is in love with her and doesn't kill her and marries her and becomes a stronger king. So here we have Ainana. Uh, so now she has earned her throne. Now her brother has chopped down the blood tree and out of the sacredness and uh, got rid of the, the, the serpent and the, the bird. And uh, what's her name? Oh, God, I can't ever forget. Lilith. Lilith was living in that tree, too. Not Lilith the Hebrew Lilith, who's supposed to be her, a demon. And Lilith was a, a goddess in her own right. And, of course, was the first one they chopped out of in the patriarch because they didn't want this woman who knew her own <clears throat> her own sexuality, her capacity for abandon, which is the principle of Venus and Aphrodite, the part of us that can just abandon. The patriarch doesn't want that. That's too messy. That's too erotic. Nobody's going to get up and be a slave because we're all going to just be in that state of creation and passion and uh, reading poetry and writing and art. Oh, God, you know, how subversive is that? So this is also why we want to embrace Venus for the arts. So now Inanna, she's uh, earned her throne, but her bed, the sacred marriage bed, the holy bed, is empty. And at first, she refuses. Dumuzi. Say it again. Dumuzi. Ooh, it's like you're ready to kiss. Yay! And the man her brother has selected to be husband, saying that she wants to marry a farmer. Now, Dumuzi is a shepherd. So we'll go into what those really do mean, right? 
and Dumuzi is adamant and he's bringing about assets. Um, and uh, we'll get to talk about his assets next week and insisting that his family from the steps is as good as theirs from the river delta. So he's saying, like, yo, sister, I am I do not come from the wrong side of the tracks. This is what my lineage and mother and father are. So he's already got a healthy attitude. Yeah, you may be queen, but you you know, I I come from, you know, sacred stock too and good stock. So in the end, to avoid a quarrel, she capitulates and accepts her brother's choice. So behind this quarrel is the historical rivalry of invasion. The shepherd represents the pastoralists from the north who have overcome the people whose farm was rich was a rich land. So we're we're also dealing with this is also the story of the land. The awakening of the land. Ainana is hesitant when they first speak. But Dumuzi, obvious delight in her, arouses her passion. So next week we're gonna read the poem. And Ainana just give you this is how she meets him. Imagine this on a first date. <laughs> Inanna speaks, My vulva, the horn, the boat of heaven, is full of eagerness, like the young moon. My untilled land lies fallow. Who will plow my vulva? Who will plow my high field? Who will plow my wet ground? Now that's an opening first date. Could you say that? Could you feel that? Could you know that? You don't have to say it. Know that. The longing and how natural that passion is. And Dumuzi replies, Great lady, the king will plow your vova. I, Dumuzi, the king, will plow your vova. Ainana, then my... Plow my vulva, man of my heart. There are so many beautiful, beautiful statements in this poem. So I'm going to leave you with that and uh, keep saying demuzi, demuzi. And, uh, and also uh, feeling the, the energy of the living principle, the living eros, the living sexuality of everything that we do. We can't blink an eye or move our hand without it be, on some level, a union of opposites coming together. And I think that's why people love dance. It's like when they can feel that, even if they're just, it's just doing social dancing, they can feel that energy moving. So may your search for your honey man or your honey woman bring you great success. Until next Monday. Bye-bye. Or forever.